the first crack here is more office loans. So like nine times out of 10 deals, what we're seeing in order of magnitude is defaulted office. And then second is probably some legacy defaulted hotel loans. Good morning. This is Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Kavanaugh. Our guest today is Josh Segan of Madison Realty Capital, which is a debt fund and private equity firm based in New York. We're going to get into what's happening with lending right now, given the current rate environment, how firms are thinking about refinancings, and where distress might start to pop up. But first, let's get into the news. And I think we have to start off with the FTX and crypto debacle. Mm, is that related to real estate? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked because, yes, <laughs> Catherine Kalurgis, one of our reporters in Miami, she had a story on Thursday about what the collapse of FTX, which was the world's second largest crypto exchange, means for luxury real estate. OK, so what does it mean? So at the end of 2020, crypto values started to soar. Right. We saw Bitcoin rise from about seventeen thousand dollars in November 2020 to a peak of sixty one thousand dollars in March of 2021. And of course, that made some people incredibly wealthy. And those people decided to park that cash into real estate. It became a big enough trend that people started using cryptocurrency to actually purchase property. We've covered this on Deconstruct before. Actually, our first ever episode was on this topic. But now, you know, after FTX filed for bankruptcy a couple weeks ago, brokers are already seeing a dramatic slowdown in crypto purchases. Mm. So were people using funds on FTX to purchase property? Yeah. So for a lot of people, that's where their crypto was stored, right? It was a huge exchange. And it would take more than a few minutes on a podcast to explain what exactly happened. <laughs> I'm sure there will be entire movies, TV shows, podcasts built around this fallout. But essentially, FTX held billions of dollars worth of customer deposits, right? Its founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, also had a supposedly separate investment fund that traded crypto called Alameda. Alameda was then dipping into FTX's customer deposits. So FTX customers were concerned about this and started racing to pull out cash. But FTX didn't have enough liquidity to pay out the deposits. So, you know, say you held crypto in FTX and then you cashed out some to put a deposit down on a luxury apartment in Miami. You didn't want to cash it all out, right, hoping that it would eventually keep rising. So you kept some in FTX. Well, now FTX can't pay you back, and you might need the crypto money to pay off your mortgage. That's incredible. So the, the funds that people had in FTX, it just poof, they're gone. Yeah. So it's really wiped out a lot of wealth. The, the entire thing is crazy. Wow. Okay. So we'll have to see how many other crypto firms are affected by that. Just, you know, the trickle down effect of people getting freaked out. In other Miami news, Grant Cardone, so he was the real estate crowdfunder on the cover of our September issue. You'll probably remember him from the two middle fingers he had up, is suing Hard Rock Stadium and F1 for $750,000 in damages. And what were the damages? He's alleging that thieves stole a Richard Mill watch worth $750,000 while he was in the VIP area of the Miami Grand Prix. 
And the lawsuit is a big deal because, as we know, Stephen Ross of Related Companies owns the stadium. Right. Yeah, that's definitely a big deal to go after Related. Mm -hmm. In residential news, J.P. Morgan announced last week that it would acquire and develop $1 billion worth of build-to-rent communities across the U.S. They partnered with Haven Real with Haven Realty Capital on a joint venture, and they're targeting the Sun Belt. And built to rent is exactly what it sounds like, right? Where you build a community of homes that are designed to be rented out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And Haven's founder, Suda Reddy, said it's the perfect time to be building rentals, given the state of the housing market. In a quote, he said that the for-sale housing market has been significantly hampered by recession fears, inflation, and rising interest rates, which we've gotten into over the past few months, really. He's obviously not the only one predicting further dips in the housing market. KPMG's chief economist, Diane Swank, said last week that a 15% drop in home prices over the next year was actually a very conservative outlook. So she also added that we were in a pandemic-induced bubble as people have relocated across the country and you know could work from home. At this point, I feel like there's so much pessimism around all asset classes. Yeah, the majority. I mean, like even multifamily, the darling is starting to have, you know, we've seen like deals slow, rents are not, you know, notching the same gains as they were. But the one outlier, surprisingly, is actually retail. So this report came out last week by CBRE saying that retail availability across the U.S. has dropped to record lows. turns out retailers really want brick and mortar stores. We saw that, you know, a bit last year. But it's the trend has continued even with inflation numbers climbing. About 5% of all retail space across the U.S. was available in the third quarter. Oh, and speaking of retail and malls, um, this answers your question from last week. Now, no matter who you voted for, no matter who you are or where you live, I will be a mayor for you. But Karen Bass will be L.A.'s next mayor. She beat out Rick Caruso, who had outspent Bass 11 to 1 on his campaign. So that was a blow for some real estate players who had supported Caruso from the beginning. He had also garnered support from Gwyneth Paltrow, Paris Hilton, Snoop Dogg, Katy Perry. He got a lot of celebrity support. But, you know, he'll still have his moles in L.A. He'll be okay. This podcast is sponsored by Dotted, the asset optimization platform that aligns your teams and makes your real-time data work for you. Automate reports, export stacking plans, run simplified leasing calls, and go beyond the lease with capital projects and dynamic projections all in one place. Get a demo today at Dotted.com. So we have Josh Zegan from Madison Realty Capital with us today. And Josh, maybe we can jump right into a pretty broad question. What is happening with the lending market right now? Look, overall, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. And there's a lot of sort of price discovery. Investment sales have been down dramatically. Um, the fact that rates are up you know, 350 to 400 basis points in a very short period of time caught a lot of people off guard. And I think you know, if you look at the first half of this year, uh, a number of the larger banks that provided credit to mortgage REITs, other debt funds, were really caught with, I would say, hung deals in, to some respect, meaning they were uh, provided these loans, held on balance sheet that typically were, they were going to sell off into the CLO market. And when the CLO market changed, they got stuck with a lot of uh, real estate credit and corporate credit that they weren't able to sell off into the market. 
So that really bogged down the system. And obviously, given that that bogged down the system, that pulled out a lot of capital into the lending market. So naturally, there's a lot less competition in the market today, and in some ways for good reason, because of the uncertainty of the market. That being said, we are absolutely in business lending, and uh, we're, there's a lot of very good opportunities, albeit the bar is higher. From that perspective, I mean, generally, we're doing things at a little lower loan to cost, lower loan to value than we would have done maybe six months ago, given some of that uncertainty. And again, a lot of that uncertainty is about what are values today? You know, what is something worth today? Some asset classes have more transparency than others. Office being an asset class that, you know, has a lot of unknown around it, uh, work from home, the fact that there's been a lot of layoffs in the tech sector, obviously affecting that more. That's some of the things that we're thinking about. I'm glad that you brought up the office market because I think it is the sector that, you know, is on everyone's minds right now. Can you elaborate on that, you know, how is Madison Realty thinking about the state of the office market right now, given the current rate environment? From a lending perspective, we always lend on all five, call it major food groups. That being said, about 80% of our business has always been about around residential related real estate. So we never loved office or when we did office, the bar again was higher. Um, I think that there's such shifts going on in the sector right now. The problem with office has been obviously you know, work from home uh, and the fact that layoffs are affecting the business right now really uh, have a lot of question marks in terms of what is occupancy and how much vacancy is to be expected going forward. And then the big challenge with office is, you know, one, it's not inflation indexed the way multifamily is in the sense that you have leases that are constantly rolling on an annual basis. And there's a ton of CapEx that typically has to go into office. So it's a very capital intensive business and even more so today to lure tenants to take space. I think from that perspective, that's where the most pain is because, you know, binary risks that people didn't think they were taking, and it's become a more binary asset class. I think obviously when you look at the market overall throughout the U.S., there are some pockets that are doing well around, for example, South Florida, which didn't have an oversupply problem, and yet demand has shifted. You had places like Austin where the tech story up until now was strong, so you saw a net absorption. And even in New York, you know, Class A was absorbing while the, call it B and C product or things around a 6th Avenue or 3rd Avenue were having challenges. They were, they were antiquated uh, buildings, older locations, and didn't ma match the floor plates that a tech tenant would want. Where we're seeing the most pain and where lenders are seeing the most pain in taking back assets is in office at the moment because there's very, very little liquidity uh, regardless of sponsorship and location and basis. We're starting to see a lot of office uh, loan opportunities on the acquisition side. And, and again, the question is, what what is cheap enough, right? Where are you a buyer of that kind of stuff, given a lot of the things I just mentioned? And obviously, there have been a lot of big picture reports lately talking about how fewer deals are trading, transaction velocity is down. Are you actually lending right now? What sort of deals are you looking at? Yeah, I think if you don't have to do a deal, if you don't have to be a seller, you're not selling. If you don't have to buy, you're not buying. Um, but I do think there are people out there looking, you know, they're looking for opportunities. There, there is money available, um, but, you know, there's just a lot of unknowns. Now, on the lending side, you know, given the fact that we are one of probably a handful of, of providers of, so I would call it a private credit in the market at the moment. We're seeing some interesting opportunities, and we're really focused on a couple of things. One is deals where someone has to transact. So 
one theme that we're seeing are because of COVID and obviously inflation, cost changes along the way, uh, delays in terms of deliveries of, of goods, um, a number of jobs uh, have had overruns. And they're very far into a deal. They may be 60%, 80%, 90% complete, but there's a need for additional capital. So we're seeing lenders not funding over those issues and an opportunity to recapitalize deals where someone has to transact, the borrower has to transact. So that's one opportunity um, we're seeing today, the, the opportunity to provide capital to complete a job, condo, rental, build to rent. Um, and uh, the other opportunity is, again, like lender finance. So you have a number of alternative lenders that typically would be dependent on A notes, loan on loan financing, and leverage from banks. And because banks have pulled back dramatically, there's an opportunity for us to provide that kind of leverage to other alternative lenders. And a third is buying both performing and non-performing loans from banks that are really shrinking the book today because they're overexposed to real estate credit. And I wanted to chat about refinancing with rates, you know, continually going up. Are owners actually able to go through with refis right now? So one of the things you're seeing is borrowers that are nearing a maturity of a loan that was able to get X proceeds in sort of the past environment only be able to get Y proceeds today. Meaning, just as an example, if someone had a hundred million dollar loan and rates were, you know, where they were. Uh, a year ago, they were able to get another hundred plus hundred plus million dollar loan today because of where rates were and sort of rents were, right? But if you look at the rate environment today, that borrower may only be able to get eighty million of proceeds. So what once was considered everyone getting cash out refinancing is actually a cash in refinancing. So unfortunately, a lot of borrowers when they're converting a floating rate loan, for example to a fixed rate loan today, long-term you know, stabilized loan, they're not able to get the same proceeds and they actually have to come in with additional capital to pay down the former loan to get the new loan. So one opportunity we're seeing is the opportunity to provide preferred equity or gap financing to help solve that problem. So a borrower doesn't have to come in with cash equity. Now the challenge today is, you know, what is value? What is a property worth? Where are cap rates? What will rents be in six months? So getting you know, that last dollar in terms of preferred equity or MES is more challenging to underwrite today, given the unknown and circumstances out there in the market. And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but can you elaborate on banks being over levered? Sure. I mean, one of the things, as I mentioned before, is in the first six months, a lot of lenders put loans on the books that they couldn't sell off into the market. And some of those loans were done at below market rates as co compared to what those what a lender can get today in the market. So in some cases, you have lenders that are sort of overexposed to credit that they weren't able to sell off into participations or sell off into the CLO market. So that's one uh, loan seller that's out there from banks. The other are, are local banks that may or banks that have non-performing situations. More of that we're seeing in the office sector. But there are deals where um, it may have been another asset class like residential and industrial, and there's sort of uh, milestones, debt service covenants, or sort of execution milestones along the way or maturities where a lender is looking at that and saying, I'm going to look to sell that loan because, you know, one, regulators are coming down on me a little more today, and I don't have the deposit ratio that I typically would need in a bank to be able to have the loan book I have today. 
I think what's happening is because, as I mentioned, you have a lot of lenders that are sort of overexposed to credit, um, both both banks and then debt funds also. So you had a lot of levered debt funds or mortgage rates that need to delever. And a lot of times it's because they're leveraging through a line of credit. And when loans go into default, they have to pay down their line of credit to take that loan out. You know, so what's happening right now is that's sort of an impetus for lenders to sell because they would have to come in with cash to take that loan out of the, um, the line of credit. So what's happening again is sort of you're seeing the first crack here is more office loans. So like nine times out of 10 deals, what we're seeing in order of magnitude is defaulted office. And then second is probably some legacy defaulted hotel loans. The hotel, frankly, today is easier to underwrite than the office loan is because there's a little more transparency into the market and operations um, as compared to like at the beginning of COVID where you didn't know, you know, where things were going and you didn't have a vaccine at that time. Um, but and then obviously the multifamily side, I think the non-performing multifamily deals that we're going to start to see are deals that were bought at very, very low cap rates and with rates going up the way they are on floating rate loans. Uh, the, the cost of carry, the interest carry is getting exorbitant to the point where equity doesn't want to support the deal. Buyers of that property may not want to keep writing checks. Um, so that's going to lead to opportunities in that sector uh, on the multi side as well. Deconstruct airs every Monday wherever you get your podcasts, so subscribe now. Next week, we're talking about grocery stores. Tune in then.